Great to see everyone here today. Looking forward to our study now in the Word of God. It's been a great time of worship so far and pray that God would continue to work in our hearts through His Word. Philippians chapter 1. You follow along as I read verses 3 through 11. Paul, as he begins his letter to the Philippian church, writes this, I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruits of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Father, thank you for this time that we can gather together. And as the body of Christ lift up our praises to you. You did not. And do not intend for us to leave here today in the same condition that we entered. And I pray now as we open your word and study it. Pray that you would. By your Holy Spirit, speak its truth into our heart. That our hearts might be changed, that our hearts. Might grow in our understanding of who you are. Pray that our our hearts would grow in confidence for what you have promised to do for us and in us. I just pray that you would meet the needs of each person in this room today from your word. May your spirit apply this text to our hearts in the way that each of us needs to have it applied. And we will glorify and praise your name for the work that you do in and through us. For the praise of your name. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me just remind us of kind of where we've been in this, um, I guess, detour, you could call it. uh, What began and will continue as a study through the Sermon on the Mount has taken a, a, a brief path down this this road studying prayer. We studied the Lord's Prayer in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, and now we are in the third week of observing what some other biblical texts have to teach us about prayer. And so just to kind of remind us of where we've been two weeks ago, we we saw how we pray to a God who is absolutely sovereign, a God who is absolutely in control of our lives. A God who knows what we need before we even ask it. Last week we saw that God is faithful to the promises that he has made to us. We pray to a God that is faithful to fulfill his promises. Our text today, I think, is is a bit of a continuation or maybe an application of that truth last week. That is, God is faithful to sanctify those who are His. I believe we will see that from this prayer of Paul as he relates his prayer to the Philippian church. That God is faithful to His promise to sanctify those who He has called to Himself in salvation. We also saw from the Lord's Prayer that prayer is something we do together. The Lord in His model prayer for His disciples prayed in the plural. This is a a corporate prayer that God's people make on behalf of 
of all believers. We pray corporately. We had the opportunity just a few minutes ago to pray corporately. God intends for us to do that. And even here, Paul is an example of one believer praying on behalf of other believers. That is a model that we ought to follow. We don't only pray for our own needs. We don't only pray for that which affects us. We should and must be praying for others. God has brought us together for the purpose of mutual edification and mutual prayer for the needs of each one. And so I hope that Paul's prayer here in Philippians 1 serves as a a sort of model for us as we pray for others. What we want to see in this text is that we pray to a God who sanctifies. We are praying to a God, the God who is the one that sanctifies those whom he has called to himself through his son. And we pray these prayers for sanctification, not for ourselves only, but for all members of the body of Christ that that he has called us into fellowship and relationship with. This is not something that should only exist with a pastor and member relationship. This is something that member to member should be going on. We should be praying for one another, not simply for our physical needs, but for our spiritual needs. We should be praying for one another's sanctification. We should be burdened that each member of this body is progressing along in sanctification in the way that God has desired and designed us to do. Michael Horton writes this uh, as, he, as he thinks about the process of sanctification, and even specifically this text where Paul prays for others' sanctification. He says, we are never isolated individuals in our union with Christ. We share this union and grow up into it more and more together with the whole church through its ordinary means. You see, God has brought us together for the purpose of lifting, up, lifting one another up in prayer. That's one purpose. That's one responsibility that we have as fellow believers. We must be praying for one another. Just as Paul prayed for the church in Philippi. And I think praying, developing this life of prayer for fellow believers within our body will only serve to grow this mutual edification that we desire to to have. Something that we're seeing accomplished through small groups and just one-on-one conversations between believers. I think that our prayer for one another's sanctification will only serve to heighten that growth that we can experience. And so we, we see today from this text that we pray to a God who sanctifies us. The first thing I want us to see, if you're following along in the outline, we really just have two big points that we want to look at today, not confusing. The first thing is the certainty of sanctification. The certainty of sanctification. Sanctification is something that is sure for us as believers. Now before we go too much farther, I want to provide for us a definition of sanctification, just so we're all on the same page, so we all understand what is sanctification. When we talk about sanctification, what is it? Well, here's one definition. This is my own. This is not exhaustive. This is not the final word on sanctification, but this is something I hope can at least get us thinking about what what is sanctification? Sanctification is the process by which we are brought experientially to realize the work that God did in our hearts through justification. Sanctification is that process by which we come to realize experientially what God did in our hearts, in our salvation, in our justification. You see, when we were saved or justified, our hearts were not just fixed up or or cleaned up a little bit. Our hearts were completely transformed. We were given new hearts. You might imagine an old house that you are going to renovate. And you come in and, and you might find 
a house that has good bones, as they like to say. That is, it's something you can work with. You might update some things, you might replace some things, upgrade some fixtures and appliances, put a fresh coat of paint on it, and it looks much better, much fresher. It looks almost brand new. But you're taking the same house and updating it. That's not what happened with us in salvation with our hearts. You see, God, God did not come to our hearts, as it were, and find anything salvageable to work with. It's as if we came to an old house and we just determine we have to tear the whole thing down and rebuild a new house. That's what God had to do with our hearts in salvation. Our hearts were filthy with sin. And He had to come in and give us brand new hearts. To use the language of God's promise through the prophet Jeremiah, our hearts of stone were replaced with hearts of flesh. We have brand new hearts. God has transformed us from the inside out in salvation. So we now possess, as theologians like to say, an alien righteousness. That is a righteousness that is from outside of us. It's not our own righteousness. It's the righteousness of Christ that has been imputed to us. So in one sense, we can say, as, as it is often said, that we are now just as righteous before God as we will ever be because we are clothed in Christ's righteousness. That's what happened at justification. We are just as righteous now as we will ever be. This is why Paul is able to say in Romans 5.1, and the same sentiment could be found throughout the New Testament. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ, we are at peace with God because of the justification that has taken place in our hearts. But Paul later writes in Romans 7, just two chapters after he makes that statement, about this struggle that he experiences between the old man and the new man. Where he comes to the final conclusion in Romans 7.24 and he just cries out, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? So that brings us to our need for sanctification. Because while on the one hand we have been given new hearts that are perfectly righteous, clothed in Christ's righteousness, but on the other hand we have an old man that we still battle with and oftentimes come to the same point of frustration that the Apostle Paul came to. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? You see, we do not always live outwardly in accordance with the reality that has taken place in our heart. So we need to be sanctified. We must undergo this process by which we are brought to realize experientially what took place inside our hearts. That's what sanctification is. It's that process by which we live out that which has taken place internally. And I say from this prayer of Paul that confidence in God's sanctifying grace should propel us to pray for and pursue sanctification. The only only reason that we should pray for our sanctification is because we pray to a God who has promised to sanctify us and who will sanctify us. That's exactly what Paul says is the basis of this prayer as he relates it to the Philippians. We read it in verse 6. He says, I am sure of this. I am confident of this. That he who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So sanctification is a work that is certain. It's something that we can be confident God will do in our hearts. And I hope this is an encouragement to someone who might be here today thinking, and might be thinking along with the Apostle Paul in in Romans chapter 7, that maybe you live in that mindset, so aware of your present sinfulness, that you throw up your hands in frustration and think that nothing is ever going to change. This sin is always going to defeat me. There's no hope to overcome this pattern of sin in my life. 
There's no hope for me to get over and get past this struggle that I face day by day against this sin. And if you sit here today with that mindset or or face from time to time that mindset, I hope that the reality of the certainty of our sanctification would encourage your heart. God is not done with us. God will sanctify our hearts. He has promised. It is sure. This is what motivated Paul to pray for this church. The fact that God would sanctify them. The fact that he was sure of of his sanctifying grace. He prayed for God to sanctify these, these believers. And maybe this is even an encouragement for those who in previous weeks of our study, I know as I thought about this, especially as we talked about praying to a God who is sovereign, and one of the applications that was made was that sometimes we pray for things that God does not give us. And the reason for that is God knows better than we do what we need. God knows what is for our good and what glorifies Him the most. Therefore, we don't necessarily always receive everything that we pray for. But we trust that He is sovereign and knows what's best. Well, if we pray for sanctification, we can be confident that we will receive what we pray for. You see, this is God's will, that we be sanctified. So we can be confident that we will get a positive answer from the Lord. The means by which He sanctifies us is that we come to Him humbly, abandoning our own pursuits and depending upon His grace to sanctify us. See, God is passionately interested in the details of our life. God has not just saved us from our sin and just kind of leaves us and is uninterested in in where we go from there. God is absolutely interested in our day-to-day life. He is interested in the process of our sanctification. It's the end for which He created and saved us, that we would be conformed to the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. And as we are more conformed into His image, God Himself receives more and more glory. Therefore, God is absolutely interested because he is interested in his own glory and the fulfillment and the the, the revealing of his own glory in the lives of sinners who are being transformed by his grace. God is interested in the details of our life and is working to bring us through this process of sanctification whereby we realize experientially that which happened to us in justification. So sanctification is a work that is absolutely certain. Sanctification is also a work of grace that God himself performs. It's a work of grace that God performs. One of the challenging things about sanctification, I guess, over the years has been the confusion about whose work this is. Is sanctification God's work? Or sanctification, my work. After all, Paul says in chapter 2 of this same letter to the Philippians, he instructs them to work, work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. So what is it, Paul? Is it God's work or is it my work? And while salvation is what we call monergistic, that is, it is a, a work of God apart from anything that we do. Our salvation is monergistic. God does it. We have no part in our salvation. We are saved absolutely apart from works by the grace of God. Sanctification, according to the Bible, is synergistic in that both God and us have a part in our sanctification. But it's important for us to remember, and this text shows us this, that God's work of sanctification is inextricably linked to His work of justification. These are not two separate works of God. God's work of justification and God's work of sanctification are really the same work. That's why Paul says in verse 6 that it's, this, it's God that 
began this work and will complete this work at the day of Jesus Christ. These aren't isolated works of God. These are, this is the same work of God. He began this work through justification and now continues it on through our sanctification. This continued transformation of our hearts. What does this matter to us? Why does it matter so much that this work, that these two works are so linked together? The work of justification, the work of sanctification. Why does it matter? I think it matters because it is, it is so easy for us, but so fruitless for us, to work so hard to accomplish our own, self, our own sanctification that we cut ourselves off from the gracious work of God that, that He has done in, in saving us and is continuing to do in sanctifying us. It's easy for us to cut ourselves off from that grace by focusing so much on our own effort. There is effort that we, we need to do to accomplish our, our, our sanctification. We do need to work, as Paul says. There is work involved on our part. But it is fruitless for us to work so hard that we ignore and cut ourselves off from God's work in our heart. And that's why Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, in verse 12, he said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He goes on in verse 13 to say four. He's connecting it. Work out your salvation, for it is God that works in you. You see, the only, the only way that we're able to work ourselves is because God is working in us. So the fact that God is working in us enables us to work out our own salvation. Therefore, our work in sanctification should be a grace-fueled work. It should be something that we do not as a paying back God for what He has done for us. Not as something that should be guilt-driven because, because of an awareness of our sin, we feel guilty so we need to work harder and do better. That's not the motivation that will sustain our sanctification. What will sustain our sanctification is a continued realization of God's grace working through us and humbly working through the power of that grace as it continues to carry us along in our sanctification. So this statement in verse 6 of Paul's confidence that we will be sanctified God will continue and complete this work. Is both a promise of its certainty. God will sanctify us. We can be sure of that. But on the other hand, it's also a promise that this hasn't been completed yet. It's a, it's a, it's a promise that this sanctification will in one sense be delayed. That we will still have to bear around within us this old man that we war against. So this is a delayed promise, something that will, will take a lifetime for God to accomplish, this work of sanctification. And perhaps we can ask ourselves the question, why, why has God chosen to make sanctification a progressive work? Why has God chosen, a, chosen to take our whole life to do this work? And this might be a frustrating realization for, for us as we, as we battle sin. Why, God, does it take so long to be sanctified? I, just want, I want to be sanctified right now. I don't want to battle sin right now. God, why are you taking so long? After all, God certainly could have sanctified us at the same time, he justified us. God could have, could have made us perfect. He's going to do it in the future. He could have done it at the moment of our salvation, if he had chosen to. But why has God chosen for this to be a progressive work over the course of our entire lives? And I believe, again, the answer to that question goes back to the glory of God. 
Because God does everything to maximize His own glory. Everything God does in our lives, everything God has done and is doing in the life of His church is to maximize His own glory. And I think certainly this delay or progressive work of sanctification that He is doing in our hearts is for the maximizing of His own glory through the church and through us individually. Think about even what what God said or what, what is said about God in Romans chapter 9. Paul wrote, What if God, desiring to show His wrath and to make known His power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of His glory for the vessels of mercy, which He has prepared beforehand for glory? So God endures with patience vessels of wrath for His own glory, for the revealing of His own glory. And while God would certainly receive glory by an instantaneous sanctification in our hearts, what if God receives more glory through the constant display over and over again of forgiveness of sin, strength to go on, continuing sanctifying grace as He makes it known to us in our daily life. What if God receives more glory through us having to struggle through the process of sanctification? Maybe that will encourage us when we sense the reality of that struggle. That we can look to a God that is all about glorifying Himself and even all about maximizing our own good as we humbly lay ourselves before Him in humble dependence upon His grace. And so it is, it is certainly a work that will take a lifetime for God to accomplish. But we can be confident that it, it will happen. It is certain. God will finish the work That he has begun in our hearts. I also want to address again. Go back to something we kind of touched on very briefly a second ago. One more thing regarding our, our lifelong pursuit of sanctification. And I hope this, I hope this will preserve even our, our own joy in God through this journey. This process. I mentioned earlier that our, our effort in sanctification should not be guilt-motivated. Or as John Piper has described it, talking about what he terms the debtor's ethic. That is, God has given us salvation. Therefore, now we feel obligated to pay Him back for what we owe to Him by our, our holiness and our good works. That misses the point. That, that is not the motivation for our pursuit of sanctification. We must not pursue sanctification out of this debtor's ethic or motivated by guilt for past sin. We should be motivated to pursue sanctification because we are confident that God is working in us. God is working, graciously working. It is certainly appropriate for us to follow after and obey and worship and please the God who has saved us. It is absolutely appropriate. That, that should, we, should, we should see God in His glory, in His work of salvation, and pursue Him more and more, not as a means of paying Him back, but as, a, as an act of worship for who He is. Why would we do anything else other than pursue sanctification, to pursue righteousness and holiness when that, that's the character of the One that has saved us? Why would, we, why would we do anything else? That is the appropriate response 
of one who has been rescued from their sins by a holy and righteous God. So it's as a means of of worship of that God that we pursue righteousness, we pursue sanctification, not as a means of, of paying Him back for what He has done for us. So Paul prays this prayer because he is certain that God sanctifies believers. But then he goes on in this prayer to give us some marks of sanctification. And this is the second heading. I think here is where we can, we can make some application. We can see the, what are the specific things that Paul prays for this church in regards to their sanctification. And this is certainly not an exhaustive list of all the things that should mark our growth and sanctification. And even while Paul affirms that sanctification is an act that God is doing in our hearts, he gives us, by the the things that he prays for, some measure of evaluating our progress in this process. And I pray that God would make the necessary application for, for each one of us. That He would meet us where we need to be met, where, where we need to find grace. The first mark that, that Paul prays for and we find this in verse 9. It says, and it, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. A believer being sanctified will, ab- will abound in love. One of the primary marks of a sanctified believer is love. Love for both God and love for others. This is one of the things that Scripture describes, the, the, one of the characteristics, the primary characteristics that sets apart a Christian from an unbeliever. A Christian demonstrates genuine love for God and for one another. Because we have been the beneficiaries of an eternal love from our, our Heavenly Father, we are now able, because that love was demonstrated to us through Christ, we are able to love others in a way that someone who has not known that love is not able to love. This is what characterized Paul's relationship with this church to whom he is writing. We see that language early on in this text when he talks about remembering them in every prayer, making his prayer with joy because of their partnership. And I can almost imagine him remembering the people from that church. We know some of the people that were in this church. You remember in Acts 16 when Paul was in Philippi. You remember he was instrumental in the conversion of Lydia. He was instrumental in the conversion of the servant girl who was demon-possessed. And of course we remember the the jailer of that, uh, the, the Philippian jailer that came to Christ as a result of Paul's own testimony. That night as, as he and Silas spent the night singing in jail. These, these are some of the people to whom Paul is writing. And he writes about this genuine love and affection that he has for them. This is what characterized their relationship. And this certainly should characterize our relationships within this body. We, we ought to be marked by a love for one another that is abounding more and more. It's almost the, 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 the words Paul uses, it's almost as if this should never stop. It's just more and more and more and more. Our love should be abounding for one another. This love that Paul had for this church, these people, the love that we have and should increase in for one another should be, should be based on more than simply shared experience. There will be that. We will love each other on the basis of shared experiences that we have together. But our love for one another 
should be based on our mutual and shared commitment to the advancement of the gospel. The advancement of God's kingdom through the spread of that gospel. That's what we're committed to. Part of that is our own sanctification. Part of that is going to be as we motivate each other to reach out, to reach others with the gospel. That's, that's what united Paul and his heart with this church. The work of the gospel. It was his love and affection for them that motivated him to pray for them. It, it should be, and pray for their sanctification. It should be our love for one another that motivates us to pray for one another's sanctification. I wonder when the last time, when was the last time you prayed specifically for the sanctification of another member of this body? Maybe outside your family. Do we pray regularly that other members of this body would be sanctified? Are we so busy praying for people that are sick and people who need jobs and other physical needs that people might have that we miss praying for others' spiritual growth and sanctification? Again, both are important. I don't, I don't want, I'm not setting one against the other. They're both necessary. They both, both needs should be prayed for. We saw this in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus modeled for us a prayer where both physical need was involved as well as spiritual need. Love is not simply a feeling of affection for one another. Love is a genuine commitment to the, for the benefit of another. In the case of our study today, it's, it's a commitment to the sanctification of another brother or sister in Christ. I don't think, hopefully this doesn't go too far, I don't think that we can say we genuinely love a brother or sister in Christ, when we never work on their behalf in their pursuit of sanctification, whether it's prayer, encouragement, study. If we, if we ignore the sanctification of other believers, I think it's hard for us to say that we genuinely love them. At least we aren't living it out, living out that love. Again, the, the quote that I, I mentioned earlier, maybe I'll just read it again. Because God does not intend for us to live in isolation from one another. God has brought us together into a fellowship, into a community by which we are to strengthen one another. Here's the quote from Horton. We are never isolated individuals in our union with Christ but share this union and grow up into it more and more together with the whole church. One purpose for which God has brought us together is that we would all grow together in that union with Christ. His imagery in the New Testament of the body is so appropriate. The body is together. The parts function together. That's the purpose for which God has brought us together. That we would live in unity. That we would love one another more and more. And pursue one another's sanctification. But Paul goes on to pray. And even qualifies his. This request for abounding love. He goes on in verse 9. It's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge. And all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. You see, everything, not everything is worth loving. We, we, cannot, we cannot love indiscriminately. Christian love does not love indiscriminately. There are, there are things that are not worth loving. 
the sanctified person or the person being sanctified will grow in their ability to evaluate everything and determine whether something is worth loving. The imagery here is of someone looking at a precious metal. And it's someone that is able to look at that metal and, and evaluate whether it's pure, whether, it's, whether it actually has value, or whether it has imperfection and is worth much less. A person being sanctified will increasingly love the things that God loves and will increasingly hate the things that God hates. Again, this is one measure by which we know if we are being sanctified or to what degree we are being sanctified. Do we love more and more what God loves? Do we hate more and more what God hates? A sanctified believer cannot love sin or things that diminish the glory of God. You see, God loves the truth. And God does not tolerate that which is not true. God loves His own glory and does not tolerate things that diminish that glory. And we as, we as believers being sanctified should be demonstrating an increasing ability to discern what is, as Paul prays, excellent. What is pure, what is blameless. We should be growing in our ability to evaluate whether it's teaching, ideas, opinions. As we evaluate whether a teaching is true, whether a teaching is excellent. Hopefully, even as you sit there today, you are able to evaluate to what degree I am speaking the truth. One mark of sanctification is an increasing ability to discern between what is right and wrong, what is helpful, what is not helpful, what is pleasing to God and what is displeasing to God, and then living according to that. We can even apply this, to, again, to the context of our relationships with one another. To what degree are we exercising discernment in our relationships with one another. As we live together, as we grow together, there must be both love on one hand and discernment on the other hand. Again, it is not loving to just allow someone to continue down the path of sin, wrong teaching, wrong ideas about God, it doesn't, it doesn't serve them well. And it doesn't glorify God if we, out of a, a misguided notion of love for that person, just allow them to continue down that path. To what degree are we exercising discernment as we interact with one another, as we open God's Word together, whether it's in a, a gathering like this, a, a community group meeting, a one-on-one -on -one Bible study, or, or some other venue where we... We open God's word and, and evaluate what it says. Are we being discerning? Are we striving to be discerning? I mean, even one of the, the applications that came to my mind was in the context of community group. We need both love for one another, but also discernment. Now, I don't want us to be quick to correct one another and say, you got that wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. But let's, let's begin to exercise discernment where it's necessary. Let's work to, to, to point others to the truth where, where we might be misguided. We all need this. We all need to be corrected from time to time. We need each other. We need others to exercise discernment or help us exercise discernment from time to time. This, this is the function of the body of Christ. We love one another. We exercise Knowledge and discernment, we approve what is excellent. And in a sanctified way, so to speak, we call it out when we, 
we see something that doesn't measure up. So Paul prays specifically for the love of the church, that it would abound more and more. He prays that they would increase in their exercise of discernment. Then finally, he prays that they would be filled, in verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. A believer being sanctified will demonstrate the fruit of righteousness. Now, in one sense, this is kind of a summary statement, I think, of, of, of what sanctification is. What are the fruits of righteousness? I think put very simply, this is, sim- this is the living out. These fruits are what grows out of what's within our heart. So God has given us a new heart. He's cleansed our heart. He's transformed our heart. Now we live out. And bear the fruit of that which has taken place within us. I think these are the fruits of righteousness. Or we could say these are the fruit that is righteousness. Really, we're just saying that we will be sanctified. As we defined earlier, that we are experientially realizing Externally, what God has done internally. Our outward life, and even our inward heart, the mind, I get that not every sin is external, but our, our external living is more and more matching up with the internal condition of our regenerated heart so that we bear the fruit that is righteousness. You see, the biblical term sanctify, the biblical term sanctify, in one sense, generically means just to set something apart for a specific purpose. But theologically, it, it means that God has set us apart for a purpose. God has set his affections on sinners, called them to himself, and has set us apart to be for the praise of His glorious grace. God has set us apart to be holy, even as He is holy. God has set us apart to love others as He has loved others. God has set us apart to love the body as He loves the body. God has set us apart to approve what is excellent, what is pure, what is blameless, even as He is excellent and pure and blameless. God has set us apart to demonstrate the fruit that is righteousness, even as He Himself is righteous. And because God is doing this work in us, we read later where Peter writes, Be holy, in the words of God, be holy, for I am holy. And we have hope in that because It's God that's doing the work. Every day of our life, God is working in us. That we would be, as as Paul concludes this section of this letter, that we would be to the glory and praise of God. That is the purpose for which He is working in our hearts. That is the purpose for which we must be working in dependence upon His sanctifying grace on our behalf. And I pray that even now as we, in a few moments, will come to the Lord's table. Pray that even as we remember the work of Christ on our behalf on the cross, that, that, that the remembrance of that would be an encouragement and even a, a reminder that, that God has begun a, a work in us and God will continue to do that work, until it's complete. There is a day that that work will be complete. And we can be encouraged with confidence in that. And I pray that even the Lord's table today would be a means of, of grace by which God evidences Himself to us and makes, makes known the, the power of His gracious working in our hearts. Let's pray. Father, thank You for 
your promises. Thank you that we can pray with confidence. We can pray confidently for you to be sanctifying us because we know that it is your will. It is the very purpose for which you have created and saved us, that we would be conformed to the image of your son, to the praise of your grace. And so I pray that you would continue to do that work in our hearts. For those here who are, are, are tempted to despair because of the because of, of an awareness of sin, that you would minister the reality of your grace and sanctification on their behalf. And even for someone that perhaps takes your grace too lightly, that thinks that because they are saved, that they are no longer obligated to obey you and are free to live as they please. May that person see the enormity of your grace, see you as as an awesomely gracious God that to, to disobey, to ignore is simply inappropriate. That our appropriate response to your grace is obedience. Not out of guilt, not as a means of repaying a debt, but simply out of thankful joy that we have the privilege to to worship you both with our words and with our actions. I pray that our participation in the the Lord's table would be a means of, of grace by which you seal this truth to our heart and give us strength and ability to go on from here in in humble obedience to Your will. We pray these things because of Jesus Christ who went to the cross for our salvation, went to the cross for our justification, for our sanctification. We are able to pray confidently in His name. Amen.